So, all right, something productive and useful. Exodus 34. All right, you ready for the dumbest thing I'll say all morning? All right, you ready? Well, maybe not. I better not put that bar that high. I'm liable to say, it's almost a guarantee I'll say something dumber than this, right? There you go. Who you follow in life matters, okay? This is very true. As a simple example, I understand this painfully so. I grew up on Long Island, well, on Long Island Sound, across from Long Island in Connecticut. I'm a Mets fan. And some of you are like, yeah, you should be a Cubs fan sometime. Like, you get it. Who you pay attention to and follow in life matters. This is becoming crystal clear in Exodus. Israel is doing a horrendous job of following. Who are they following? No, I wouldn't argue they're following the wrong person. They're following Moses, right? Moses is leading them out of Egypt. Moses is leading them into the wilderness. Moses has led them to the foot of the mountain. Who should they be following? They should be following God. See, this is the example of Paul, right? Paul says what? Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Moses is getting his info. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. That's why Paul can tell the Galatian church, if I or an angel from heaven teach you another gospel, let him be anathema. I follow good people as they follow God. Always remember this. Always, please, Christian, please, 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 please remember this. You don't get the cop out on that day to stand before God and say, well, pastor said. Do you know who's going to give an account for what pastor said? Pastor. I'm going to give an account for what I said. You're going to give your account for what you did and what you believed, not for what I said and what I told you to believe. At the end of the day, you stand before God. That's why, back of your bulletin, all the Bible verses I'm going to mention today are in there because you have the brains and the ability to look them up and to double-check. And if something doesn't mesh up, you know what you should do? You should say something. Ask a question. We'll talk about it. As I joked, this may not be the dumbest thing I'll say all day. It's distinctly possible. I am going to be too annoyed by this eyelash, not pay attention to something, and say something completely ridiculous. Not only is it possible, it is more than likely probable. You want to follow after God. You want to follow the teaching that I give you as it rightly points to Christ. If it doesn't rightly point to Christ, there's a whole bookshelf back there of hymnals and Bibles. Start chucking them at me. Okay? That is the rule of life. That's why I tell you about, you know, I joke about things like if somebody in a sermon says this, run. Like run screaming from the room. You should try that in churches. They would, they would say less stupid things if every time we said something dumb, somebody just got up and screamed and ran out the room. Might be a little more interesting sometime. Don't you dare. I already see, I, with the 10-year-old, I gave the 10-year-old a bad idea. No. You are mine and I can run screaming after you. <laughs> I better make sure I cover that one real quick. <laughs> but this matters you want to follow after Moses because Moses is delivering you the word of God but that doesn't mean I follow Moses it means I'm following God and the minute Moses does something or says something that doesn't mesh with the covenant that I have made with God and the commandments that he has given that's why don't miss this when God gives the commandments that the covenant is based upon it's not given to Moses to give to the people. It is given in everyone's hearing. And then Moses ascends the mountain. You are responsible because you know. 
This is why Paul goes to great lengths to make mention of that you know the truth in Romans 1. You know the truth of God. You reject it in unrighteousness. You stand before, not based on what grandma taught you, not based on what dad did, not based on what the pastor said, not based on this book that I read. You stand before God based on your faith, your belief, your confession, not anyone else's. This matters and is demonstrated greatly here in Exodus 34. Israel's got to come to terms with the fact that they don't stand before Moses. They stand before God. So, with all of that said, the long, one of the longest introductions I've ever done, I think. With all of that said, let's dive into Exodus chapter 34. Now the Lord said to Moses, cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. I love this. I love this. Parents, keep in mind where we are. Moses was up the mountain, got the tablets, 40 days, 40 nights, comes down the tab, come down the tablets, comes down the mountain to what? <laughs> Debauchery, sin, stupidity of every shape, form, and fashion. Chucks the tablets at Aaron because he's annoyed. Remember, this is my new theory on life. I've said for years that Aaron, or that Moses threw the tablets at somebody. I think I'm going with Daryl's theory. He threw them at Aaron because Aaron knew better. So the tablets are shattered. The covenant has been broken. Moses goes through. The Levites have enacted judgment. All of that has gone on. Parents, you came home. And the house was a mess. Do you just walk in? This shouldn't look like this. Spank the children and then just sit down and tell them to clean it up and not say another word? No, you don't. You go behind them. Now, clean that up. Now, what were you even thinking about? And now you're going to clean this up? Oh, don't even think you're going to leave that little part. It's not just the punishment. It's not just the fixing. It's the lecture that goes along with it, right? Because why? I'm mad. And when I'm mad, who's going to know about it? Exactly, and I'm convinced that the way they're going to not do it again is I'm going to instill in them this level of anger. God doesn't have to. The Lord said to Moses, cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, and I will write in the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. We are just simply going back to work. Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquity. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. Remember, Moses went back to God to make atonement. Moses stood before God and said, look, forgive our sins, but if you won't forgive the sins, then blot me out from the book. Moses offered himself. Moses offered sacrifice. God gives atonement. When God atones, is there a lecture involved? No. Grace is given. Mercy is extended. As far as the east is from the west, it is just done. In Christ, you are clean. This is the thing we can't ever forget. Now look, how many of you feel clean on the average like Tuesday? <laughs> no, you're like, yeah. I get that. Always remember, this is why what I mentioned in communion this morning is so important. We really get thee that I was cleansed by Christ. And then we really are looking forward to the I will be completely cleansed. But Christian, you're good in Christ now. 
Not because you are good, but because he is good and he is at work in you. You are actively saved. It's not like the work was done and it'll one day be completed. In the meantime, God's just sitting in heaven going, I cannot believe these people. Because of the work of Christ, you are his. Because of the work that God will complete in his kingdom, you will be his forever. That means you're what? His now. It's not like you're in, you're going to be in, but you're out in the meantime, you know, just kind of floating along. You're his. You're good in Christ. This is why we strive for excellence in sanctification. This is why we strive to eradicate sin. It's not so that God will love me. It's because he already does. He already does. Which means I don't want this thing that is an affront and an insult to his character and nature. I want it gone and I want it dead because he loved me and he loves me and he will love me because he has cleansed me. How dare I love this thing that is an affront to him? How dare I long for the thing that he hates? That's your motivation for sanctification. That's part of this lesson here. When it's done, it's done. So continue. Be ready by morning. Come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. (laughs) 27 hoops you got to jump through, right? Got to stand in your head, juggle fireballs, you know, do the little spinny plate things they do at the carnival. No, it's just what? Come, stand before me. Do the thing that you are supposed to do. Again, you see this with Israel. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. The connections in your Bible moving forward. So Moses is really the first of the great prophets. Who's the next one? Sunday school class, who's the next one? There you go. There you go. Dan is listening. Go team. <laughs> it's Elijah. Elijah gets the same message. First Kings 19. The Lord said to him, This is after Elijah's complaining. Remember, Elijah and the Israelites have shut up the prophets of Baal. They have killed the prophets of Baal and then demonstrated the power of God and that Baal has no authority. And then Jezebel goes, oh yeah, well, Baal and I are going to kill you. And Elijah goes, run away! And he hides on the mountain because he's afraid that if Jezebel kills him, that Yahweh will have no testimony in Israel. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. Elisha, the son of Shaphat of abel Mahalah, you shall anoint his prophet in your place. It shall come about, the one who escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. The one who escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet... I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, Elijah's hiding in fear, hiding in terror, hiding in his sin. And God's grace covers him, which means now what? We sit and mope about it? We sit and complain? You get the lecture? No. Go back to work. Get up. Good. There's stuff to do. I got a testimony. I got people in Israel. I've got a kingdom that I am building and it is bigger than you. So let's just keep going. Same thing here for Moses. Make some tablets. Come up and meet me on the mountain because we're done here. We have things that we must do. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. We knew this. We've seen this before. God says for no one to come up the mountain but Moses. My question is, if you're Israel, who wants to? 
Like there's mourning and, you know, crying out to God for mercy in the camp. Are you going to be like, I want to get up the mountain to see God? Like when you find yourself in your deepest, darkest sin, is that the moment you want to come to church? <laughs> is that be like, I want to go to the potluck today so that everyone can look at me and know what I did? Yeah. That's why I love this part is that human nature is so broken that God reminds them what should be obvious anyway simply because it needs to be said, because God takes nothing for granted. This is good news for you, Christian. This is why get in the habit of just reading your Bible on a regular basis, even the parts you know, even the parts you think you know, because even the stuff you know every once in a while, it just kind of, well, where did that idea come from? Well, you read it again, and you paid attention, and you learned something because the Holy Spirit is living and active and accomplishing things and putting new ideas, not different ideas, but new understandings, building. Remember, we're building on a foundation. We're going in the right direction. That's why we keep going. Hence, God repeats himself. Thanks be to God because we need that. So keep moving. So he cut two stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took the two stone tablets in his hand. All right. Time out real fast. What's Moses looking forward to this day? Anybody remember? Is Moses all giddy to go up the mountain with some tablets so he can get the, the covenant rewritten? Rewind to Exodus 33. Moses said, I pray, show me your glory. And God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Which should be a really good lesson, Christian. Moses' morning is starting out knowing he's going up to the mountain to see God, knowing he's going to go stand in the presence of God, and knowing that at some point in this, God is going to show himself to Moses in a way that even Moses has not seen yet. And yet, what is Moses' morning about? Cut some tablets. Talk to the people. Make sure they know the commandment. In other words, it's like how many other days? Every other day. Christian, when does God work? See, what's the lie we tell ourselves? Always, you want to have a fun, here you go. You want some motivation to read your Bible. Here it is. Motivation to read your Old Testament. Read your Old Testament and pay attention to how much time is passing in between the big works of God. So like, if you want to do one this afternoon, just go read the life of Abraham. What is, Abraham starts what? Genesis 11 into Genesis 12 is when his story, and he's in, what, Abraham's dead by what, 26, 27? You can knock out 15 chapters, it'll be good for you. As how much time is covered, and how many big events they are, because you can rattle them off, right? The covenant is given, the promise in, in Genesis 12, and Abraham worships in Bethel, and then God speaks to him coming out of Egypt, and then the promise of Isaac, and, but realize that we're talking about months, and years that we go from he's 75 to 175 and God speaks to him like five, six times. Which means the vast majority of Abraham's life was what? Get up, take care of the flocks. Get up, make sure there's food. Get up, make sure nobody stole all our stuff in the middle of the night. <laughs> all these little daily things. Christian, this is a comfort for you. Proverbs 14. The naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. 
Use the example earlier. If I want to go that way, you know what I shouldn't look at? I shouldn't do this, because you know what's going to happen to me? I, I have no frame of reference. Now, does that mean I should pay no attention to where I'm walking? No. I should pay attention. There might be something I can trip over. There might be a hole I should fall in. But I have to evaluate how much focus I give to that which how much, with how much focus I give to my long-term goal. That's considering my steps. This is the thing we lose in Christianity, is that Christian living is predominantly mundane. It is ordinary. It is not just in those moments when you teach somebody and the light goes on and they're like, ah! It's in how you treat people standing next to you in the grocery store. It's in how you talk to that friend you haven't seen in five years. It's in the things you post on Facebook. It's in the way you talk to your sister. It's in all of these things. It's just simple, daily life. It's in how you deal with your worries, how you celebrate your successes, how you handle your failures. It's simple, daily life. I used the example in Sunday school this morning. Wash dishes to the glory of God. How many of you were like, I get to wash dishes unto the Lord? Now, you're never going to say that ever. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm just, you're a lesser person, but you're okay. No, I'm kidding. Kidding. Just make sure you're paying attention. So how do you wash dishes to the glory of God? Well, what's the question I always want you to ask? Why did you do it? Washing the dishes is the what? I don't care about the what. Everybody washes dishes. If you don't wash dishes, don't tell me. And don't invite me over, please, ever. Just, just saying. <laughs> there you go. I don't care about the what. I care about the why. So I want to wash dishes to the glory of God. It's not that I do something better. It's that I do something for a better reason. So why do you wash dishes? So that my family has clean things so that I can steward this kitchen and the possessions that God has given to me, so that I can provide. Is this how I contribute to the family? Is this how I contribute to the household? Is this how I honor the gifts that God has given? See, all of those things, and it's a stinking plate. Now, when I wash that plate, because I am not washing it simply because we're out of plates and I need one, but I'm washing it because I'm stewarding the gift of God. I'm providing for my children. I'm honoring the spouse who I'm washing it for. Did your work just get better? Yeah, why? What changed? Not, none of this changed. This and this changed. Welcome to your driving. Welcome to the job you do at work. Welcome to how you talk to your parents. Welcome to how you talk to that person who drives you insane every day. Welcome to everything in life. It's not the what, it's the why. Understanding that God's command and that God's dominion extends over all of life is what changes all of life. Understanding that I live unto his glory, not just in the big things, but in the little things, is how I can mark my steps, how I can watch how I walk in the world and not lose perspective. So we'll continue. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him and as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. 
who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth uh, generations. That's cool. Now, we'll deal with the hardest one first because, believe it or not, it's the easiest. And, and yes, I know I just said that. Okay, does God punish your children and your grandchildren because you're a nitwit? No, they've already been punished. There you go. Someone, someone's listening to what I'm saying. When we deal with generational sin, it's not like, well, my grandfather was an alcoholic, so I have no choice but to be an alcoholic. It's just in my blood. No, you, you, you choose you. Your punishment was that you followed in the false ways that you saw laid down for you. That's how the iniquity is passed on. It's not like God's going, watch this, I'm going to make the grandkids alcoholics just like grandpa. <laughs> no, it's you followed the wrong thing. You followed the bad example. You, look, for every excuse you have made for your sin, I guarantee you, if you're honest with yourself for a minute, you will find that there were 27 examples on how you could have gone another way. I guarantee there were. You just didn't pay attention to them because you didn't want to. Again, this is what, where is sin located? Is sin in what you do? No, sin is in why you do it. Now, there are some things that are innately sinful, right? Like you don't get to strangle the life out of someone, do you? <laughs> Got you on that one, didn't I? I haven't used this one in a while because, I mean, this is, this is a good example. So if I told you there's a news story of a group of men and they grabbed someone and they drug him into a room and they knocked him unconscious and they cut out his heart. Yeah, you immediately were like, duh. It's horrid, right? You want the death penalty for those people, right? They're surgeons. See, get, get, get your Halloween brains out of the gutter. And realize that, yes, it's the most crass possible way of explaining it, but what's an open-heart surgery? <laughs> I mean, I had this conversation with the orthodontist who did my wisdom teeth. After he explained everything, I looked at him and said, let me get this straight. You're going to numb my face, take a little hammer, break the teeth up into a bunch of pieces, and take that little shop back over there and suck all the pieces out. And he goes, well, I don't like to tell people that, but yeah, in a nutshell, that's what I'm going to do. See, give it to me straight. I'm good. See, the context matters, right? What changed about the two actions? The reason behind them and what they were accomplishing. One is wicked and sinful. One is a blessing and mercy from God. Now, again, cheating on your wife is never justified. You can't, you can't be like, well, I had a really good reason. No, you didn't shut up. Okay? That, that was bad. But was the problem that you cheated? Well, it is a problem that you cheated, but I guarantee you that if we go back, the problem was found where? 27 steps before you got to that point that you were with some strange woman in a hotel room. There were problems that we didn't deal with, issues of the heart that we didn't overcome that led us to that action. In other words, change what you want, change how you're living back here and how you're thinking, we avoid this down there. This is the lesson of sin. This is what you see in the generations. This is also why these declarations matter so much. I've told you this before. If you want to understand your prophetic books, you want to understand the call of the prophets to Israel, understand the work of Exodus. 
The prophets were not calling Israel to some strange thing. They were calling Israel back to the right and proper understanding of the redeeming work of God. The redeeming work of God is most clearly seen where in the Old Testament? Exodus. A people oppressed in slavery that they cannot overcome is delivered by what? The power and might of God. And after they are delivered, they are provided for. And even when they sinned against God in the midst of that provision, his grace and his mercy covers, and he continues to protect them. And while he disciplines them along the way, he upholds them and carries them forward according to his plan. Christian, didn't I just describe your life? This is what the picture is. It's not a new salvation when you get to the New Testament. It's the same message. You want to understand the prophetic works and the prophetic calls later on, understand what's going on in Exodus. Case in point, track this through. Deuteronomy 4. The Lord your God is compassionate. He will not fail you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. Loving kindness for thousands forgives iniquity. Moses Repeating the same call. Joel, chapter 2. Come on, you know it's a good day when you get to read Joel, right? I mean, how many of you read Joel on, on a random day? Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Huh, it sounds a little like repentance there, doesn't it? Rend your heart, not your garments. In other words, don't make it about what's out here. Make it about what's in there. Return to the Lord your God. Why? He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, relenting in evil. Joel was listening, wasn't he? This is why Paul can tell you in Romans. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that it is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance? See, would you repent before a God who promised to smack you? Be like, come to me, confess your sins so I can whack you upside the head one good time. That's why you dreaded when your parents found out, right? Be like, just don't tell my parents. Just like, I can deal with everything else. Take me to jail, do whatever, just don't tell them because I don't feel like dealing with it. No. Why do you return to God? Because I recognize my sin. I recognize my iniquity. I recognize that I am unclean and wretched. And he's not promised. He's promising me a smack if I don't come to him. But if I do... He's promising forgiveness. He's promising grace and mercy. And I recognize that that is a kindness from God, which is why I run to him and run away from the things of this world. Therefore, verse 8, Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. Good response. When confronted with the glory and majesty of God, what should you sinful human do? recognize the difference in worship rightly. But question, where is your worship? Romans chapter 12. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Your worship is what? Your life. The heart surrendered to God, the mind transformed by God, the life therefore then offered to God. Remember, getting my exercise in today. Why do I hate that sin? Because it wrongs me? Because it makes me do bad things? Because I don't like it? No, I hate that sin because it's an affront to God. And he loves me. 
And he has forgiven me for that. I mean, look at it. And the thing that I recognize about myself is, you know what? You know what's really true, if I'm really honest with myself for a second? Is that when I look at that sin and I realize how ugly and vile and disgusting it is, you know what I want? I want it. Because I realize that that's who I am, which is why I want to kill it even the more. Because you know what I really, really want when I recognize the mercies of God? I want him. I don't hate it because I am capable of hating it. I hate it because I'm capable of hating it because he has transformed me. Again, I don't war against my sin so that God will love me. I war against my sin because he already does. That's the power. That's the work. I return to Christ. I come to him in repentance and faith. And he is faithful to forgive all who come to him. And because I have come and surrendered, he cleans me. And now I am clean. I have been declared clean. I will be declared clean. And I am clean. Therefore, when I find that disgustingness, what do I want to do? Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean. They make, ooh, Christian magic erasers. There's a bad, bad reference in there, and I'm not going to make it, so I'm going to stop right now before I get myself in so much trouble. My wife is already shaking her head at me. Now she's nodding in agreement because I saw her shaking her head. By the way, Christian, understanding these connections between your worship and how you live your life is why the wisdom of Scripture never changes. Ecclesi, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes. Proverbs 16. The mind of man plans his way. Lord directs his steps. Ephesians chapter 5. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In other words, what in this world will operate outside of God's planning and working? out of curiosity. Nothing will. Nothing will operate in this world outside of God's planning and working. We may think we're accomplishing grand things, but nothing will overcome what God is doing. Nothing. Therefore, Christian, what is our step? To come up with good ideas and execute them for our best work? No. To figure out what glorifies and honors God and then to do that thing. That's what Proverbs is basically telling you. Isn't that what Paul is telling you in Ephesians? Understand what the will of God is. Be careful how you walk, because I wish to walk in a world not consumed with my steps, but making sure that the careful, measured steps that I'm taking are doing what? Leading in the right direction. Going to the right place. Actually doing the things that I seek to accomplish. Not, not so focused that I miss everything. Not so focused that I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing but understanding that where I'm going is going to be determined by how I'm walking. Therefore, I watch where I'm going and I measure how I'm getting there. They are both at work. So he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate. Pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your own possession. That's a request for God to do something that's not actually requested there, really. <laughs> you got to love Middle Eastern mindsets. Why is God not going to travel in the midst of the people? This is what he told them in Exodus 33. Get up, go to the land that I will give you, but I'm not going with you, because why? You're a sinful people, and if I go with you, what will I do? 
I will destroy you because God will not abide by your sin and he will not stand in the presence of your sin. You will not sin in God's presence. That's how you get the back of his hand. In other words, God is holy. The people are not holy. What's Moses asking for? Walk in our midst, even though we're obstinate. Pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your own possession. In other words, I'm standing here because you have forgiven. I'm standing here because of your mercy. Do that for who else? All the people. They need to be holy to stand before a holy God. Therefore, who needs to make them holy? God does. They've been saved. They've been taken out of Egypt. They will be saved. They will make it to the promised land. What Moses is asking for is to demonstrate that they are what? His in the here and now. This is why you stand, Christian. You do not stand because you are good. You stand because he is good. You are not forgiven because you have deserved it. You are forgiven because he is gracious and his loving kindness endures and he forgives iniquity and transgression and demonstrates a kindness to you. As Jesus puts it in John 8, the son makes you free. And if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Free. Here we go. Bad example time again. That's why I can look at that sin and call it what it is. Recognize its ugly vileness. Not because me and my flesh are good, but because God has changed my heart and my mind to recognize it. I'm free, which is why I pointed out every time you've wandered into your sin, you had examples of what to do and what not to do. And you did what? You went there anyway. Welcome to the planet. You're human but that doesn't make it good and it doesn't make it right. But here's the beauty of it. Who does make it good and who does make it right? You dead yet? Then you can still war against your sin. You can still overcome. You can still walk faithfully. Why? Because he has given you example. He has given you testimony. He's given you a spirit to guide and he has given you the way that you should go. This is what he told the apostles, right? You know the way that I'm going. You know how to get there. No, we don't. Yes, you do. Because <laughs> what's the way? What was the punchline? How do we get there? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes in the Father but by me. In other words, follow after Christ. Trust in Christ. That's why Paul can say, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. If I don't imitate Christ, don't be an imitator of me. If I point you rightly into Scripture at its truth, follow what I'm saying. If I don't, Go get the books. Start winging them. That's how this is supposed to work. They need to be made free. They need to be made holy. They need to follow after God. If Israel is not having this, it's because they're following who? They're following Moses. This is the problem. But are they following Moses as Moses follows God? No, they're following Moses. That's why I tell you, don't listen to me. Listen to me as I rightly explain Scripture. If I stop rightly explaining scripture, you know what you should stop doing? You should stop listening to me immediately. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Chuck me out a window as fast as you can find one. This is why this matters. This is how this is supposed to work. The people are following after whoever God has put in charge. Don't do that. I mean, this is the lesson in Deuteronomy. Moses tells them, what's the test for a prophet? What's the first thing that's got to happen in order for him to be a prophet? The thing that he says is going to happen has got to happen. 
And if it does, so it's going to rain tomorrow. I'm a prophet. It's going to rain tomorrow. It didn't rain tomorrow. You know what I'm not? I'm not a prophet of God. Israel, what should you do? You should go get the rocks and stone me to death. That was the penalty. Now, yeah, I'm a good weatherman, right? Now, I claim to be a prophet of God. It's going to rain tomorrow. We all wake up in the morning and it's pouring cats and dogs. It is raining like you have never seen before. Hey, go team. I'm a prophet of God. You don't get to stone me anymore. Now, now that I have everybody's attention, you know, I heard about this Canaanite God named Baal and I really think we should all offer some sacrifice to him. Stone, yes, pick up the heavy rocks. Moses literally says this, the Lord is testing you to see if you will be faithful and love and honor and serve him. In other words, he sent you a crummy prophet so that you would learn the lesson to not just follow after prophets. It's almost like God will give you the worldly leadership you want in order to demonstrate that it is not what you need. There's a lesson there somewhere. Apply it as you would. (laughs) I was doing so good. The giggle gets me every time. Then God said, behold, I am going to make a covenant before all your people. I will perform mir- I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations and all the people among whom you will live, among whom you live will see the working of the Lord, for it is a fearful thing that I am going to perform with you. Don't you love when the verse is just too big for the screen? That and the ones that are written like that, the tie my tongue in a knot. That's fun. Did you catch the reasoning, by the way? Well, I know I was butchering that sentence in that entire verse. Did you catch the reason why? Before all your people, I will, perf- I will perform miracles. I, I stuttered it a second time. I will perform miracles. There we go. Which have not been produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations, and all the people among whom you will, will, who you live will see the working of the Lord, for it is a fearful thing that I am going to perform with you. In other words, God will be proving what about his power? That he has it, and who else has it? There it is. Um, John chapter 20. Many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. By the way, Christian, guess how much of that has changed? My favorite phrase, right? Absolutely nothing has changed. 1 Peter chapter 2. Putting aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. It almost sounds like, you know, putting your sin to death and walking in sanctification. Huh. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Once again, why do I hate the sin? Because God has changed me. I have recognized that there is a grace and a mercy from on high and that he is good and merciful and he has loved me and forgiven me. How dare I want that thing that he hates? And let's be honest. We all know the truth. We want the thing. The only reason I can stand is because I'm free in Christ. The only reason I can fight against it is because I have been given grace and mercy from him. Once again, I war against my sin, not so that God will love me because he already does. Because I'm following after him, I seek to kick away the things of this world. I seek to push them aside because I'm going to be wise in how I walk so that I make sure that I am going to the place where 
He is, because that is what I want more than anything else. And even the thing that I want, if it, uh, if it slows me down on that, on that journey, you know what it's got to do? Got to go. And I almost sang a bad 80s song, and I'm going to refrain. You'll have to ask me about the bad 80s song at the end of the service. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Rapid fire time. You ready? Be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I am going to drive out the Amorite before you, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. Rather, you are to tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, cut down the Asherim, for you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous god. Otherwise... You might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land that they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods. Someone might invite you to eat of his sacrifice and you might take some of his daughters for your sons and his daughters might play the harlot with their gods and cause your sons also to play the harlot with your god, with their gods. You shall make for yourself no molten gods. There's nothing new in anything I just read. Genesis 15 gives you the promise that God will drive out those nations. Exodus 20, 3 through 6, gives you the command about idolatry. It matters. Don't have idolatry. I love the, I love the wisdom of God. Again, like, you know, we're shocked that God's wise. Who'd have thunk that? Don't marry the pagan women. Why not? Because your sons are idiots, and they're going to look at her and go, she's pretty. I'm going to go worship her idols because she's pretty. Because that's how men think. We're idiots. All right, thus endeth the lecture. You think I'm kidding. You think I'm kidding. Men have done some of the dumbest things on the planet in the history of humanity because of women. And I'm not blaming you women. He looked and went, I like the way she talks. I like the way she smells. I like the way she looks. And then there you go. Stupidity enters into the mind. All wisdom goes out the other side. And, you know, moronic things ensue. (laughs) There you go. I just did what she told me. I don't know. God gives them the warning. Don't do that. Be wise. Careful how you walk. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you came out of Egypt. The first offspring from every womb that belongs to me... All your male livestock, the offspring from cattle and sheep, you shall redeem with a lamb the first first offspring from a donkey. And if you do not redeem it, you shall break its neck. You shall redeem all the firstborn of your sons. None shall appear before me empty-handed. Exodus 12, 17. Exodus 13, 2. You shall work six days, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during plowing time and harvest, you shall rest. You shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks, that is the first fruits of the wheat harvest, the Feast of Ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times a year, all your males are to appear before the Lord God, the Lord of Israel. I'm sorry, the God of Israel. For I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your borders, and no man shall covet your land when you go up three times a year to appear before the Lord your God. Exodus 28 through 10, Exodus 23, 14 through 17, Exodus 33, 2. Exodus 33 is the outlier of this group. The verses I'm rattling off to you are where God has already said everything he's saying here. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor is the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover to be left over until morning. You shall bring the very first of the fruit of the first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Exodus twenty three, eighteen through nineteen, Exodus twelve, ten. 
Why do we care? All of those verses, all of those commandments were given with the exception of the one that was repeated from Exodus 33 before Exodus 24.18. Why does that matter? Because Exodus 24.18 says this, Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Which means all of those commands were given to Israel before Moses went up the hill. Which means who heard them? Everyone. They were spoken not just to Moses to deliver to the people, they were spoken to the people. And with the knowledge of that, Moses was gone for a couple weeks and they went, you know, this Moses guy has disappeared. I don't know what's become of him. Why don't you make us a god so that we can go into the Holy Land? Huh? They just walked away just like that. And yet, just like that, what are we doing? We're re-giving you the exact same covenant. Almost like nothing has happened. Almost as like your sin has been separated as far from the east is from the west. Almost as if God is saying, we have done this work. It is time to get back to the work that we are supposed to be doing. 1 John chapter 1. If we, for, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What separates us from God and his work? Us! Us! Return! Repent of that sin. Confess it before God, and he is faithful to forgive, and you will walk in newness. Why? Because he loves his people, and he cares for them, and his mercy and his grace covers them, because he has saved them, and he will save them, and he is saving them. Then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Thanks be to God. Because you know who needs that? Exactly, them and us. Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians 10, that these things were written to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. In other words, how do I know God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness? <laughs> how quickly would you have smushed them? Seriously. How, how fast would you, and how long would that lecture have been? I went up the mountain for 40 days. You people couldn't keep your covenant for 40 days. I can hear my grandmother now. <laughs> it would have never ended. And yet God's answer is what? Return to me. Be forgiven. Let's go to work. Write it down. Why? Let's be honest. Do you want to write down all your failures? You should. You know why? So you can learn. This is why you get the, this is why the Holy Spirit, this is one of the ways the Holy Spirit shows you that he loves you. When you're sitting there in the shower washing your hair, because everything bad happens to you in the shower when you're washing your hair. When you're washing your hair, you have that thought of that stupid thing you said 12 years ago. You're just like, why is that in my brain now? So you can deal with it. You can figure out what dumb thing you did why you did the dumb thing, and then you can do what? Not do the dumb thing the next time. That's why the Holy Spirit gives these things to you. It's like, okay, all right, fine. That was stupid. Let's not do that again. And if that ever happens or anything similar, this is what I, this is what I should have done. Do that. It's good for you. It's good for you to mark your steps, to think about where you're going and how you're going to get there. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Ooh, we've seen 40 days and 40 nights before, haven't we? 
two times if you're going back in your Bible. Who's got them? The, the first one was when Moses did it the first time. The, the, before that, though, was, yeah, Noah. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> yeah. Once was in judgment. Once should have been in blessing. And yet when it was supposed to be in blessing with Moses on the mountain, it turned into what? It turned into judgment. It turned into chaos. In other words, it's almost like God is teaching you about time frames so that you might pay attention. So that if you see something like this moving forward, it'll kind of trigger something in your brain. Because you give humanity the time and they do what with it? We squander it. We waste it. You give Israel a test of 40 days and 40 nights and how long do they stay faithful? Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he'd be after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Dot, 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 dot. In other words, where Israel fails, Christ succeeds. Where Moses fails as the prophet, Christ succeeds at explaining God. Where David has failures for his children and for himself and for the kingdom as king, Christ as ruler of his people succeeds. Where Israel as a people fails, Christ building his people succeeds. All of these things are pointing in the same direction, and that direction is Jesus. That's why Colossians can tell you, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Christ wins. He defeats the enemies. He defeats the iniquity. And then he takes their corpse and he puts it on a pike for everyone to see. So that there can be no doubt. This is why we return. Because where am I supposed to be? Without the mercy of God, I'm supposed to be one of those dead bodies. I'm supposed to be one of those conquered enemies. But because of the mercy of God, because of his grace and his kindness, to call me unto himself and say, repent and be forgiven. I am. And I am no longer amongst the conquered. I am amongst the conqueror. I am clean. And I am good because he is clean. And he is good. And he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. This is the way we have to view the world. This is the way we have to understand our life. That I stand because of God. They fall because of sin. What's the cure? It's not me. It's not them. It's not do better. It's not try harder. It's re stand with God. Repent. Return unto him. When I find myself in this, it's not I'm going to do better next time. It's no, I'm going to contemplate God next time. I'm going to wash the dishes unto the glory of God. See, that silly example, why does it work? The dishes are the same. I'm different. Why will that next conversation that I have 12 years later be better than the one I remembered washing my hair? Not because I'm going to do better, but because I'm going to be different. I'm going to lean into him, considering my steps, considering how I'm walking, and understanding that I'm not following people. I'm following God. And I'm going to make sure that I'm following because I'm thinking about where I'm going and how I'm going to get there. Anything less is to look down at that sin and say, ooh, pretty. May it never be. The precious is God. The thing that we love is him. And the thing that we long for 
is him. And anything less is just that, less. What do you want? Why do parents sacrifice? Why? Why, why do we sacrifice for our children? Because we want them to have better. We want them to have the best that we can provide. Christian, you know what you should want for your own spiritual health? The best. And that is God. That is God. So I forsake the world. I forsake my sin. I forsake my desires and myself. And I cling to him who has loved me, who has redeemed me, and has called me to himself. And I rejoice because in that I am new. In that I am different because I am now clean and I am walking to what is to be his good eternity. Let's pray.